0: Hey world, this is Bushwick Politic. I'm Jason Jones. I'm Adi Eshman.
1: And what's been going on, Adi? You know, it's been, it's been a little while. Right. Well, some consequential news. The U.S. has just pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, the, the agreement that 195 countries uh, all over the world signed on to, except for Nicaragua and Syria. I can't believe we're joining Nicaragua and
0: Syria. It's a What a
1: league of nations. Right. Uh, Yeah, this was kind of crazy. Uh, We're still, I think we're still going to be dealing with the consequences of this for a long time. From what I've read, though, it doesn't seem like we'll be able to fully pull ourselves out of the agreement for the next four years. Which would be great, just enough time to, you
0: know, replace Trump and maybe get back online with the rest of the free world.
1: Yes, well, we'll see what happens. But, of course, the U.S. pulling out of the agreement has ramifications for countries all over the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, he uh, he just got back from a global tour w- in which he stopped in Saudi Arabia, Europe, all over the Middle Israel. East, s- not to mention Israel, right? And which he which he didn't
1: know was in which the Middle he East. didn't
0: know which was, his right. was in the Middle East. Which right. is, was, you, you saw the clip of the guy hitting his that head. That was yeah, that was uh, Ron Dermer. That uh, was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, but um yeah no, and uh, speaking of Israel, you know, uh, our guest today is going to talk all about
1: how Israel feels, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, it it will cover a range of issues. Let me introduce our our guest today. So Jacob Kornbluh is a national correspondent um, writing about local, national, and Israeli politics. He's also a uh, freelance reporter for various publications and has been featured in Haaretz, The New York Times, local blogs, and on Middle Eastern and and Jewish radio. Uh, Jacob Kornbluh is also the senior political reporter at The Jewish Insider. And you can also find Jacob Cornblue on Twitter at Jacob Cornblue. Um Welcome. Thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's a
1: pleasure to join you guys. So, how is this administration different from other administrations you've covered?
2: Well, this administration is different because it almost acts as an anti-administration, it acts against anything uh, political correctness or anything that would, uh, anything administrative. So you get a guy who wakes up in the morning, uh, sleeps only four hours a night, wakes up 5, 6 a.m. in the morning, and the first thing he does is grabs his phone. Uh, Simultaneously, he grabs the monitor to switch some TV channels, watches his favorite shows, and tweets out some stuff that comes up on his mind. So it could be something uh, happening miles away in some country um, not knowing if it's a robbery or terrorist attack or it can be something that is very impactful for uh, u.s citizens something like the travel ban which he wants to call a travel ban just uh, referring to his tweets this morning saying i don't care about the court i'm calling it the way it is a travel ban so uh, this goes against every norm it's even more difficult for those who are supposed to work with him or represent him or speak on his behalf? How can you come out to the media uh, with a written statement that you drafted a few days ago uh, with uh, consultants or lawyers, and you come out to the media, you give a statement about a specific issue, and then the president goes off message within minutes, and you're not even able to... (laughs) to adjust. So it's very difficult, not necessarily only for uh, reporters who cover him. It's uh, stressful for his staff. His staff is very limited. Most of his staffers have uh, different jobs that they juggle within the hand reach. He didn't fill in most of the vacancies. Uh, The State Department is in disarray. And so you have a lot of events that occur that there are no immediate people who are tasked to deal with it, and he jumps in like a lion and starts grabbing and throwing uh, meat to the to others, and you see that on certain policies, but also on certain events that has an impact on our lives for instance i'll just give you an example just happened recently right saturday night the horrific terror attack in london so you have an article that was published i guess in july and august not sure right now when it was but there was some terrorist attack in london like a lone wolf terrorist attack and the mayor of london which happens to be he's muslim he got elected with a huge majority in the last uh, mayoral elections in the city of London. And he made uh, a long comment saying that despite the fear of terror attacks coming to our cities, we should not be alarmed. We should go on with our lives. At the same time, we should be vigilant and and, you know, report what we see or, or, or see what we can do to prevent that from happening. And some conservative media outlet took this out and put in the headline saying, London Mayor says citizens should not be alarmed of upcoming terror attacks. And this was debunked a month ago when his son, Donald Jr., uh, tweeted about it. And less than 24 hours... After this terror attack, instead of giving not only support, US assistance to an allied nation, but even, you know, morally giving emotional support to a city that just buried seven of its um, own beautiful young children uh, two weeks ago, the horrific terror attack in Manchester. And all you have to do is take on a mayor who is trying to put the city together trying to put together a broken city that is just recovering from such horrific terror attack and he did this the same today saying well i know he's debunking my claim but why is he doing so and so and people are like why is he bullying a mayor of an ally nation So we're not talking about taking on political opponents. We're not talking about an election season. We're talking here about something that has to do with life and death. Relations with an allied nation. That's all it is. The UK is supposed to be our closest ally. And this is how you treat our allies. So it's very difficult uh, for us to observe. It's very difficult for... Those, especially those who did not vote for him, to see how he continues uh, the election rhetoric and continues the divisive talks. But I think uh, it also has an impact on his ability to govern and to push the policies that he believes in. So you're basically reiterating the message that a
0: lot of the even mainstream media has come to the conclusion now it'd almost be better if he'd done nothing at all. Like, he's really taken America backward decades in terms of where we could be, in terms of international relations, how he's treated our, like you said, our allied nations. In a situation where solidarity and comfort are the only options, it would have been better to be silent than to, you know, make fun of or try to bully the mayor of a town where something so tragic has just taken place it's It's completely classless, and on an international level, like our allies should be laughing at us right now this is
1: This is deplorable action well what are the what are the ramifications for this for Trump creating hostilities between
2: us and other European nations? Yeah, there's a lot of ramifications. The first and foremost is that the u s is supposed to be a leader in the free world, but also the one who creates these sort of coalitions to fight terror to fight cybersecurity, trade. You can go on and on why uh, relations matter. And here we are talking about relations that not only matter to uh, the benefit of a few percent of this country, we're talking about the security, the national security of the United States. Uh, We were all very excited to see the president on the Middle East tour, right? The first leg of his trip, which was very successful. But then the second half of the trip was a disaster. And it wasn't a disaster because of what Trump didn't say. It wasn't a disaster because of what Trump didn't do. It's what he said and what he did, the way how he treated um, allies, uh, the way how he pushed himself through to uh, the front of the line, the way how he treated a newly elected president of france and this is the welcome that he gets from uh the united states merkel who is an ally of the united states uh, especially for a republican administration you would say uh and the uk so um these are life and death issues as i mentioned before and i think it's harmful for us To say that these are only tweets, that this is just a president who is a narcissist, who thinks only about himself, or who just likes to throw things around, not knowing who the target will be, and who can always send a diplomat like his national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, or uh, General Mattis, or Rex Tillerson, to uh, clean up the mess. Uh, This... This has an impact on our daily lives, and nobody can clean up the mess other than the U.S. president. And it's not only about sitting back, because you don't get elected to sit back, right? And the problem with Trump is twofold. One is when he acts like this, when he tweets out outrageous claims, or retweets information that he gets from Drudge Report instead of his own intelligence team but it's also the policies that he pursues when he's supposed to be subdued, when he is in an okay mood, when he actually reaches out to the Republicans in Congress, when he actually waters down a travel ban for political correctness. The ban, whatever uh, you name it, uh, is still a ban for religious purposes the healthcare bill that he's over overturning still has an impact on a lot of people and as the cbo numbers say it could have an impact on 23 million folks within the next decade so it's not only what he says what he does but it's also the policies that he pursues that are policies that a vast majority of republicans believe in and he has a mandate for that because he has both houses, who are on his side, when it comes to these policies, and they help him implement that.
1: So going back really briefly to the NATO uh, summit, when you look at how the right-wing media spun his visit there, I mean, I'm, I remember Sean Spicer in, in a press release called his meeting there, you know, his, called it historic. I think like four times. He concluded saying it was a, he sparked a semi-revolution. Uh, I'm not sure quite what that means, but how? It, what does it mean to be a journalist in a country where you clearly have these false narratives being spun and a not insignificant portion of Americans buy them and sort of incorporate that into how they see the world?
2: Uh, it just makes your work more challenging. Uh, but ultimately, our job is to be the one putting out the facts, the truth. And if we have a president or any politician, for that matter, who just does it on a minimal uh, version of Trump, but still lie and still put out, uh, as they call it today, alternate facts, this is the job of a journalist to read through the matter, fact check it and report the truth to the people. Today, it's difficult because you have these social media platforms that the president and other politicians could directly put out their message to their base and impact an election, as we saw. But it's still uh, very challenging for us. But ultimately, this is our job to report the truth. And it just makes our day longer. We sleep less, sometimes less hours than the president. So the night is shorter, the day is longer, but we still do our job uh, as the best we could.
0: So, you know, as a journalist, like you said, your job is to tell the truth. In this current climate of alternative facts where, you know, lies are just spewed without any kind of feeling whatsoever. Do you feel at all like your position is questioned or like maybe you're facing maybe more censorship or maybe you're you're audience is maybe believing different things like how do you feel that the alternative facts have affected you now as a journalist like you said you have to work
2: harder but is, is there more to that i think it also has to do with reputation right uh, so if you know a journalist who would rely uh, who would do stories relying on just one source or every story would be unnamed sources you would know that he's hiding something right uh if you have stories coming out of the white house where you have 12, 15, 18 sources speaking on background, you know it's a true story. And when it's consistent, you know that this is something that is coming out directly of the White House, but they're just afraid to go on record for various reasons. Some are uh, administration officials who don't want the quotes to be Uh, quoted in their name but there are also a lot of people who work in government who are alarmed who are frustrated and voice their frustration through the media and it's the media's job to do that knowing that uh, the information they provide are accurate and that we have our job to verify uh, portions of this administration with other sources of information Rather, with other sources and with other methods that we have developed uh, over years with our experience. And it also has to do with uh, our own instincts of, you know, knowing that y- your work is going to be scrutinized. Your work has an impact, and what you write um, has to be accurate. And if you have a scoop that could be out there and go viral, but you couldn't verify it with another source. You'd rather wait and not have that uh, scooped out, uh, knowing that when the information is out there and if it's accurate and it could be impactful, you'll do your duty of reporting it, um, not necessarily just tapping yourself on the back saying, Hey, I just got retweeted 25,000 times. This made my day.
1: So let's talk a bit about Israel. How has this administration been received differently than previous ones?
2: I think uh, so. there are two ways how to measure the U.S.-Israel relationship. You have Israel as a country, the people of Israel, but then you have the people in the United States. A vast majority of American Jews and Americans in general Believe in certain values. So we believe first and foremost in in our Judeo-Christian values, uh, which is uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Uh, we believe in uh, strengthening our allies who are threatened on a daily basis by terrorist organizations. And it's, for us, it's a moral responsibility to support our allies in times of peril. Uh, Then you have the Israeli people who have to rely on the United States, that the United States is out there to help them go through these difficult times and also work together to pursue agendas that would be beneficial to the national security of the United States and the security of Israel. So let's take an issue like the peace process. There's a debate in Israel if the two-state solution that has been pursued by various administrations, both Republican and Democratic administrations, uh, which deals with the core issues of the conflict, a return to the 1967 borders with land swaps, dividing Jerusalem, certain parts of Jerusalem, and dealing with the issue of refugees and islamic terrorism Uh, some israelis believe that the time has come to give up on that because of events that are happening right now because we cannot trust any land that we seize to uh, authorities that don't have total control of that land some believe that we have given too much others say it has to do with our existence a two-state solution will not only bring peace between Israel and its neighbors, but it also preserve the Jewish majority in Israel. And it will also give civil rights to those who live in that piece of land. So if we separate ourselves between the Israelis and the Palestinians, separate themselves, they don't have to live in peace, but they separate themselves given uh, independence. We don't rule over them. They can pursue their own civil uh, uh, responsibilities, vote, and uh, be treated like um, citizens. That's something that benefits Israel. Uh, So you have this ongoing debate where the United States is not only a partner with Israel uh, in this, but also leading the effort by their with their own ties with arab countries who have never even uh, recognized the existence of israel it's 69 years since existence some countries have not even recognized existence and here we have an opportunity where uh, so many countries are facing the same uh, threats from iran from islamic radical islamic terrorism and they see Israel as a beacon of hope in, in in such a region. And so when you have a U.S. president who pursues such a difficult task of trying to instill uh, peace and stability in the Middle East, any president, no matter a Republican or Democratic president, has to be uh, applauded for that. Uh, however, uh, there are ways how to pursue that. So let's take uh, President Obama for the past eight years. Uh, he looked at it as uh, um, a sense of urgency, but also from a uh, view of, uh, of moral justice. Uh, in in Jewish, they call it tikkun uh, olam, heal uh the world and therefore israel in order to preserve its jewish and democratic values uh, has to separate itself from the palestinians but the way he did it was um to come from outside and sort of lecture israel on moral values and they said well thank you we have our own uh Experience with Islamic terror. We have our own experience offering the Palestinians 98%, 99% of what's called disputed land. Some call it occupied um, territories. And they never agreed to accept it because they don't accept the Jewish existence in that part of Israel. Uh, I think. President Trump comes to it with a different view. He understands that if he fails with the repeal of Obamacare, if he does not build the wall, which certainly won't happen in the next few years, if he does not pursue policies that would be implemented over the next few years in order to guarantee his re-election, Why did he come into office? What's his legacy? He believes that by brokering an ultimate deal, a deal that many tried and have not succeeded in doing so, by looking at it as a business deal, based on his experience as a real estate uh, uh, broker for years, would give a different way for the two sides to look at it he would come and tell the palestinians you want a state right you want independence israel wants peace and security let's work out the details but when i present you the full package i want to hear a yes or a no are you taking this deal or not so it's different it's listening to what both sides want to achieve as an ultimate goal and then coming up with a plan that both sides will have to either accept or reject. I also think there's a difference in the tone. While Obama was sort of lecturing Israel, was sort of, you know, the ongoing rifts between uh, him and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu didn't help on that matter because Israelis, at the end of the day, rally behind their leader when it comes to an international crisis. President Trump believes that if he establishes a good relationship with the leaders of both sides, also with uh, President Mahmoud Abbas, if he establishes a warm relationship with them, the people behind them will rally behind them and give them the political backing to make these difficult concessions that both will have to make in order to achieve that goal. So I think it's a different uh, uh, approach, but it's also a change in tone. And tone matters when it comes to relations, as you all know. And Israelis might
1: value that tone. Is is, is Donald Trump more popular, would you say, in Israel than Barack Obama was?
2: First of all, Donald Trump is more popular because uh, unlike Americans... Uh, certainly a majority of Americans, as we saw in the uh, uh, recent elections, rejected his tone, rejected his policies. In Israel, his policies are quite popular. If you talk about the travel ban, uh, Israel has a travel ban for years due to security issues. Israel... They built the wall. they they wall. they, They built two walls, actually. They built the barrier on the border with Egypt, to stop infiltrations from African countries. And they also built the security barrier between the West Bank and the Green Line, which is sort of the border between Israel and uh, the West Bank. So uh, Israel not only is a country that aligns themselves much more with at least the worldview of Donald Trump, but it's also a majority of Israel was yearning to some love They didn't get that from the previous administration. They're getting it right now from Trump and his administration. They don't necessarily know what's coming. Obviously, we see that on a daily basis, being surprised um, day by day. We don't know what that will bring. But at the given time, they're accepting their love and uh, they just want to see more. So they, they aren't
1: concerned at all about... Donald Trump's knack at self sabotaging his own efforts and leaking intelligence to the Russians, or, you know, certain things that would, I I would imagine, give the Israeli government pause before they agreed to do deals with someone like him.
2: Obviously, this has a very big impact on the decisions that the Israeli government would take. Uh, if you recall, uh, the, the debacle uh, between the intelligence communities, the Israeli and the American intelligence community, they share a lot of secret information and Donald Trump gave away a significant portion of that to the Russians, reportedly. So again, for Israel to make these tough decisions, we need to rely on an ally. And if we see an, a different ally, the United Kingdom, get treated the way they are treated right now by President Trump, despite the effort by the Prime Minister to create a different environment that would bring to warmer relations between the two countries. Uh, After all, despite the change in government, it's still an allied nation. Uh, If Europeans can't rely on the United States, if if Britain can't rely on the United States, what gives you to believe that Israel could rely on decisions that the United States administration would take over the next few years that could have a huge impact on Israel's security and its existence. Wow.
0: That's, yeah, wow. It it sounds like... Um it sounds as if uh, Donald Trump is like uh, like a shiny piece of food you see in a, in a store window front. You bite in and it tastes completely terrible. Uh, it's you know you start.
2: I wouldn't say you bite in. He just comes into your mouth. <laughs> <Is it
0: good>? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it it seems like Israel is starting to. I guess feel. Is it, would you say they're beginning to feel
2: like tinges of regret? There's no regret because Israel didn't elect Donald Trump, and Israel survived. Uh, 69 years of terror threats and various threats on its existence. Uh, And administrations are less friendly. Right. And and, and you have the threat of Iran, which was at least postponed for 10 years. But just years ago, looking back to 2012, four years or five years ago, Iran was on the brink of developing a nuclear weapon. That would threaten the total existence of the state of Israel. So, these decisions that are being made by leaders across the world have an impact on Israel's security. Obviously, Israel cannot rely on anyone when it comes to its own security, and it uh, has a memorandum of understanding with the United States that it would provide them military assistance that would allow Israel to defend itself by itself at any given time. And in the United States, we support Israel. Uh, maintaining a qualitative military edge despite our relations with other Arab countries in the region but I would also say that by uh, the president uh, getting into a feud with uh, our European allies this could have an impact on Israel in international body the past few years were difficult for Israel uh, in uh, united nation bodies despite president Trump Obama's attempts to stop them. He vetoed every resolution until the last one, uh, 2334, uh, in the United Nations Security Council in last December. Until then, he vetoed every anti-Israel resolution and part of it was uh, thanks to the effort that uh, and the relations that he had developed with a lot of countries in the Middle East and in Europe and by alienating our Uh, most trusted friends in Europe how are we going to maintain our leverage to help an ally like Israel uh, uh, by stopping or even uh, persuading other countries not to support resolutions that could harm Israel and its security so it's very concerning not necessarily, you know, on a daily basis for Israel, and not necessarily sometimes symbolic only, because most of these resolutions don't have a direct impact on the conflict. Uh, they are non-binding, but they're still resolutions that uh, have an impact on on movements like the BDS movement. They give them backing, they give them uh, financial support. So it has a lot to do. Relations, international relations, matter. And what the President of the United States does matters not only to the citizens of the United States, but it matters to the entire world. And we only hope that, uh, you know, the President would understand the scope of his responsibility, understand that when he tweets out what's going on in his mind, he has to understand that a lot is going on on the minds of U.S. citizens and a lot is going on on the minds of... Uh, people in the Middle East who are witnessing horrific uh, attacks and uh, civil war, like the one we don't mention usually when we talk about the Middle East, the civil war in Syria.
0: So that's that leads into something I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, Given President Trump, his fickle nature, turning on our allies, um, and him pretty much just internationally doing what would I guess be considered the exact opposite of common sense. Given that, how does Israel go forward leaning on a necessary and crucial ally that's kind of run by someone who kind of flip flops at a whim? What what do you think is the way forward for Israel to continue to maintain its peace and receive its benefits, even though the person leading the nation providing those benefits for the most part may not be dependable? First of all, uh,
2: Israel has its own problems. Uh, <laughs> Israel, Israeli leaders have to also make these decisions of how uh, they move forward. It's up to the Israelis ultimately electing their own leaders to take the necessary steps to implement policies that would be fruitful for them. Uh, and not be as independent as dependent they are on different uh, countries Uh, the assistance that they get from the united states is beneficial for both for israel and the united states obviously israel is the only democratic and stable country in the middle east so the united states can rely on israel as a base uh, of stability in the middle east region but Israel should not depend on any country when it comes to its existence. It should maintain relations with every country. It should uh, pursue uh, normalization with any country on earth. Uh, it should obviously uh, you know seek to do trade import-export with other nations to benefit its economy and benefit the world with its high-tech and startup uh, uh, companies. But Israel should not be dependent on the United States. And obviously, uh, presidents come and presidents go. And Israel, despite all the challenges, 69 years is young, but strong.
1: Um, So final question, you've covered New York City politics for a long time. Have you seen changes in New York City politics in the age of Trump in how politicians within New York City respond to these threats against sanctuary cities, so-called, pulling funding from them, you know the healthcare care bill, which could obviously have huge ramifications in New York City. Any thoughts on that?
2: I think politicians in New York City and uh, all across the nation have taken their job more uh, serious, knowing that cities and states, have to start depending on their own to um, either maintain certain programs for policies that would have a direct impact on their constituents. So I believe that many see it as a mission to defy the president by maintaining policies they believe have a direct impact on their constituents. But also, uh, as it's challenging to everyone to keep our heads up, it's challenging to those elected leaders to do their daily job uh, despite what is being said and done in Washington, D.C. After all, uh, there's a reason why we are 50 states and not one state. Uh, we have the possibilities to implement policies, to uh, direct fundings to certain programs, despite cuts in certain valuable programs that come to New York City. And uh, obviously, uh, we rely on the federal government, we rely on Congress to uh, provide us funding. But in the end of the day, uh, elected leaders are elected by their own people and it's challenging for them, obviously. Being in the opposition, I would say, is something that uh, uh, motivates you more to do. Obviously, you want to get elected. Uh, in New York City, it's different because New York City is mainly uh, uh, governed by Democrats. But because they are in opposition nationwide, it gives them a sense of urgency to work on certain matters that they can pursue on their own without relying on the federal government. And uh, obviously, it uh, directly influence on the way how other people look at New York City. If New York City pursues a certain policy that defies the federal government, defies the policy of the president, other cities say, well, if New York City can do it, uh, the city of Miami Beach can also do it. And uh, therefore, uh, it gives people in those cities uh, the ability to express themselves, but also elect leaders that they think could uh, challenge the current administration. And sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes, you know, as we say, presidents come, presidents go, mayors come, and mayors go. Uh, we had for 20 years Republican mayors in New York City. Uh, obviously, it. Th- most of the time was under bill clinton and barack obama so they also had uh, uh, a federal government and a president who was not from the same party and they implemented policies they thought were for the benefit of their own constituents and that i think is uh, uh, so great about our democracy
1: And and just to bring it you know kind of bring it full circle i also believe that the u.s pulling out of these Climate agreements in Paris will probably force mayors like Bill de Blasio to probably step up when it comes to an environmental agenda.
2: Absolutely. And you have even Mike Bloomberg who uh, um, pledged 15 billion dollars to the effort. So that 15 billion dollars. That's
0: how you know it's a serious thing. Right. right. Up billions of dollars to make, you know, something that Trump denies existing, you know. Right. No, it's a, a hoax. It's a Chinese it, hoax. It's a Chinese hoax. Right.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jacob. Yeah. Um, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, again, you can find Jacob Cornblue at Jacob Cornblue on Twitter. And uh, you can also find his site, uh,
2: JewishInsider.com. Yeah, and if you want to receive the daily newsletter that we send out every morning, just go onto our site, JewishInsider.com. On the right, you can sign up. And if you put in your birthday, you'll get a birthday mention. In our morning newsletter.
1: Uh, and thank you to Nicholas Horner. Bushwick Politic is recorded at the Halo. Uh, this is Jason Jones. This is Adi Ashman. We are Bushwick Politic. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud at Bushwick Politic. Also, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much. Have a good one.
2: has.